Hello. Welcome everyone to Being Experiential Podcasting. I'm super excited to be here with my co-host, Bethany Evans. I am Aaron Pruitt and we have a special guest. B, you're going to tell them about this very lovely human that we have with us. Yes. I'm so excited to have Craig. And I forgot to ask how to pronounce your last name. Is it Casey or Cassie? Cassie. Cassie, okay. Cassie spells out ass. <laughs> I love that even more. Good. Okay. So Craig, Cassie, thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited. Yes. So today we're continuing our series on breaking the shame. And one of my favorite topics to talk about is sex, as you guys all know. Um, so my favorite, it's okay. It's my favorite. <laughs> Fem- menstruation. Menstruation. Yeah. Menstruation. Menstruation. Um, yes. All right. And uh, so today we're talking about sex. And the reason we have Craig on here is because he is an ontological life coach who specializes in relationship sex coaching. I kind of coined that for you. I'm not sure what you call yourself a sex coach or, you know, <laughs> what it is. Man of many talents. D all yes. the above, Bethany. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So, you know, we, we really want to normalize this conversation and empower and liberate more people. Uh, to really let go of the shame and what Aaron and I see as holds a lot of people back, like in their relationships in life in general and the relationships themselves, how they show up in the world. So I really feel that shame and sex is one of the best conversations to uncover what's really happening there. Um, okay. So I really want to hear about your story and tell our listeners about your story. But first I wanted to know, Craig, like, what do you see as like one of the biggest themes like in your clients, your friends, family, um, in the world in general that you think we all can be liberated from within the scope of sexuality? First off, thanks again for having me. I'm super thrilled to be here. Sex and shame is probably one of my favorite topics and maybe the least favorite that my clients first come to because they don't want to talk about the shame. They just want the good stuff. Right. But the, uh, the thing I think everybody in the world could use right now and it underlies both our sex lives and even our business growth and everywhere else is being with both our desire and the vulnerability to get that desire met. Uh, and then the meaning making we do when we don't. So I find that the root of the shame is usually fear around being judged for not being accepted for actually saying like the bold, daring, uh, vulnerable thing, which is I want you to say these words or touch me that way. Or sometimes it's, I actually don't want to be touched this way or have sex right now, and then being rejected as a result. Mm. So the conversation I'm having with a lot of people, we're talking about moms in their 60s, C-suite execs, queer kids, you know, 21 in colleges. How do you actually be with this tension of not having the experience of practicing vulnerability out loud, uh, wanting to have the relationship of your dreams, and then not wanting to ruin it because something in you is off or different or your kink isn't their kink? And then how do you actually create the space for your partner to, to lean in in the same way and have it be okay if you don't perfectly line up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I like that. I like, <laughs> I like the idea of like asking for which one. Cause I think that we definitely saw that with, we've seen that with our clients. We read a pussy reclamation and there was a shame in the desire or shame and or shame in the de- like thinking you were an outlier, Mm -hmm. like, and it was interesting because I thought we would see a generational difference. Like, cause we had from mid twenties to 71, my mom was on the panel Mm -hmm. and I was ready for my mom to have like more uptightness around it, though. She's pretty liberated, but 
I was shocked that our uh, women in their twenties were like having very similar conversation. I was like, shit, I thought I was getting better. You know, I thought there was a lot more freedom and not necessarily so. Now, I mean, you look at our education system, a lot of that hasn't really changed. And I find that for most of us, we're people who self-educate and we actually don't have those stories that goes into the fact that most of us aren't outliers. Everybody thinks that they have an odd desire or a kink that makes them this like unique magical snowflake. And all y'all listening, you are the best snowflakes in the world, but I'm gonna tell you the truth. Probably a lot of people have your kinks out there. Maybe your neighbors, maybe your male person. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> um, but because we just don't see people who look like us out there in the world openly having these conversations, like no wonder we're, we're uptight and we, we feel like we're the odd one out. And then all of a sudden our chest is tight when we're talking about what we want from our partners and we don't want to share uh, mm. because maybe one time we did and it didn't go well. And the, the narrative is, what if every relationship goes this way? What if this mm. is the thing, the desire that actually keeps me separate as opposed to brings me the delight and the connection that I want? Mm. Yeah. So Craig, how did you, what is your backstory? How did you get into coaching and coaching set, you know, how coaching sex? <laughs> well, I'm not even like, I'm like looking at She's my like notes ont- and I'm like, ontological. do you even know what that means? No, I'm like, <laughs> shit, I should have looked it up, but can you first define ontological? Can you first define your title? And then can you tell us how the hell you got there? <laughs> I would love to. I'd love Thank to. You. I'll say this. Ontological is just looking at who we be and how we show up. I think the closest thing we see in pop culture might be looking at like how we vibrate in the world, the qualities that we show up with, what's the light or the experience other people have with us. And I can say this when it comes to sex, so many of us get tripped up by looking at the how or the what we're doing. And then we have performance anxiety. So ontology is really looking at how can we let go of those things and source from our being the experience that we want. You know, how we show up as curiosity, adventure, and play. And then from there, the actions, they just kind of flow. So if you're a to-do list person out there, you find yourself always focusing on the how. Ontology might be the greatest gift you can give yourself because it actually mm-hmm. removes the need to always know the how because we're not going to. Hell, I still don't know the how to please myself all over my body every day it changes just like it does for all of us but the being of curiosity and adventure will lead me to that answer every single time and if it doesn't get there fully it's okay Mm -hmm. so does that make sense around ontology Erin I know Bethany is steeped in this work and you come from a different perspective so you can let me know (laughs) yeah I love it totally helps cool yeah so my story is twofold. You know, I told Bethany earlier, so I did not choose in the sex coaching. Sex coaching chose me, so mm-hmm. to speak. I, um, I left my coaching program and began working with C-suite execs right away and a lot of amazing mothers uh, who happen to be steeped in some more uh, yoga culture. And in every relationship, we ended up talking about sex eventually. And here I was thinking I was going to be a social impact coach, you know, background in positive psychology, did my own social impact, you know, studied, you know, groups around the world. And they're like, yeah, that's great. And today what I actually need support with is I'm not having sex. I want a life of abundance. And this is actually where I'm stopped and I can't fix it. I can't figure it out. So story one of how I got into it is my clients just related to me as a safe haven for them to really explore it. And my job as a sex coach is not to tell somebody how, it's not to give them the fix or the answer. 
is to partner with them and actually exploring what their own truth is and then bringing their partner or partners into that conversation. Um, and then looking back at me and the work that I did that probably helped me become that safe haven. Um, I have one of those backgrounds where I grew up in a very conservative family and we did not talk about sex. Like, I don't know for you, Aaron or Bethany, if you had like the birds and the bees story growing up, but I had to Google that shit. My mom and dad were not forthcoming. I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to find a Google. It's like a folk story. Am I going to have this man reading me this like reproductive magic of the universe? It's really not that fascinating yeah. for those of you who also didn't get taught it by your mom and dad. Um, <laughs> I grew up not knowing about sex, not really even thinking about it. My friends weren't really talking about it. I was a super nerd athlete who was so focused on that. I got to separate myself from that experience. And uh, I mean, I had a lot of learning to do come college. Mm. And thanks to some amazing queer people, some really beautiful trans women who helped me sort things out and just some really powerful uh, spaces for me to practice leaning into exploring my sexuality. I learned a lot about letting go of the shame I never knew I had because when we don't speak about things, we're not always in relationship with what's in the underbelly, so to speak, mm -hmm. I found. And then also just in practicing being more open to receive and express myself and being a beacon for others. Um, it was not an overnight process. I can think of eight <laughs> years back to back where I grew and leaned into it and I still am. But uh, that's really where I started from like the opposite end. I needed a sex coach. I would have loved mm. a sex coach in my early twenties. Right? <laughs> I would have made a yeah. huge difference. Isn't it funny how we usually become what we needed when we were younger, yes. right? <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, oh, I see why now. <laughs> That's what I, I got into dating coaching because after some, I was married for 15 years and my husband died. And then when I went back into dating, there wasn't online dating when I met my husband. So I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, and they're like, well, yeah, we know matchmakers. Like, no, I don't, I'm not ready for like, don't match me up, but like do me in the way to prepare me to match me. And they were like, oh yeah, we don't do that. And so, yes. And I think, do you work with teenagers immediately? I think of like, oh my gosh, like, do you talk, like, do you ever have convert, like groups where you meet with teens? Cause I can see one of the things my, my husband was a health teacher, which you have to talk about sex. And he was like, I'm not following this California standards. Like this is bullshit. So he, <laughs> He, they loved his class because he constantly brought people in to like really shake it up and have the big, and he's like, oh my God. Give them real information. <laughs> yeah. Like one, he had, he had several kids say, well, if I smoke after sex, I won't get pregnant. He was like, what? Wow. <laughs> yeah. wow. Like where do these, where does, where does this stuff come yo, from? He was just like, oh, Google. I don't know. He was like, are they talking to each other? <laughs> Some I mean, cigarette company is marketing with that. And that is oh, not, totally. not ethical. <laughs> Vaping keeps you from getting STDs too. So, you know, oh. like, oh, <laughs> um, but he had some crazy stuff that you can tell <laughs> teens were just pulling shit together to, you know, and mm -hmm. do you do ever do that where you created our teens your jam at all, I guess <laughs> off topic or. Yeah. So I won't say my jam because my clientele is usually those a little bit later on in life. But I will say this. I find it funny. Um, I'm note of like you become who you needed way back when. I've been invited by a lot of churches to come in and give sex education conversations. Um, a, I keep it simple and there's a lot of levity. Like talk about 
fun topic to be outrageous with. Sex yeah. is a great one. Yeah. Uh, stir totally. all that shit up, no pun intended, and go for it. Yeah. But I've done a lot of conversations with youth groups where whatever their denominational background is, they know that they're not getting the education in school and they prefer it in that container instead of online, which I think is great because I remember learning about sex online. I learned a lot of different things that were not for me or were not applicable. (laughs) Um, So I'll say I've done it. Is it my jam? No. Is it a huge need in the future? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I'm going to do a lot more online content that's open and transparent for that community too. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm. I can just, I'm just imagining our listeners listening. We have a lot of parents, and they're gonna be like, "All right, can we bring him out to talk to my child? Like to offset yeah. whatever the fuck comes out of my mouth because I am trying to figure it out and uptight and right. unpack well, but, myself." Yeah, and then I'm looking at my child who is, you it's, know, it's having so a hard different to experience. Teach your own children about the things that you haven't fully addressed within yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And they're that's what they're meant to do is to bring that stuff up for you. However, it yeah. doesn't mean you're going to be like, then what your job is like, let me go find someone who can help you with this. Right. Like <laughs> someone who's not going to d- damage you more. Um, I outsource everything. Right. And I'm like, I mean, oh, help. Yeah. Like, especially because sexuality is, is there's, it's becoming, it's been, but it's really vocal on there's like this. So how you identify, there's so many more aspects mm-hmm. to it that I think you're like, oh, wait, okay. So you're pansexual, but you have, you're dating a boy, but you date a girl, but you're like, okay, wait, how do I help you? And I'm juggling three different Mm -hmm. things and I'm trying to learn while I'm trying to guide. Like that feels like a total clusterfuck. It does. Yeah. Especially when you have spaces like TikTok and whatnot. And I don't Mm -hmm. know where listeners are from, but in a city Mm -hmm. like DC, I'm meeting people who their kids are like six to 12. And they're beginning to identify with the sexuality, which I wasn't even tapped into until I was 15. Like mm. full transparency, my first, you know, experience of a wet dream happened when I was 15. And I'm meeting these kids and they're 10. They're like, I think I'm pansexual. And I'm like, well, shit, I'm so <laughs> glad you had the space to look at that. Uh, let's yeah. have that conversation mm-hmm. and see where yeah. things go. But um, it's also like digitally, there are so many more queer people who are youth who are now content creators on spaces. And I think part of the parental role is how do you really support your child in A, exploring, but doing research in a way that's self-affirming and self-supportive. And one of the the areas where I do step in and offer some extra support is the internet has some nasty ass language Mm -hmm. around a few different ways that we show up and we're authentic about our identities or sex or kinks. And this goes for youth or adults too. And there's some work to be done and actually reaffirming us and knowing that other people have their challenges and strife we might be putting into the space, but that doesn't mean it's true about us. It doesn't mean that what they say, even if it's repeated by 50 comments on YouTube has any validity. And we have to teach kids and ourselves how to do that hygiene and to be reaffirmed that I'm made this way and this way is authentic and it might feel off for some, but it doesn't make it any, any lesser. Yeah. Yeah. That's so needed. I love that. Um, so I know you already touched on a little bit of this, but is there anything specific that helped you really own and like embody your sexual energy without shame? Like whether it was like a practice or a coach or, you know, an experience you had. Mushrooms. Um, mushrooms do help. I'll say that. Um, you know, 
The honest answer is it wasn't a light switch mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, and if I look at like the major milestones, the first things that really had to happen were um, me actually acknowledging what my desires were and letting go of any meaning making I had around them. You know, you know, there was a time in college when I'm really enjoying sex, you know, I'm masturbating multiple times a day. And all of a sudden the religious people at my school, I went to Georgetown, it's liberal, but you still get people steeped in, you know, different versions of Christianity. And they're having conversations of, oh, are they sex addicts, you know, because they do the same thing I'm doing. I'm like, what? I didn't think I was a sex addict. Oh my God. And then I date a man. And we had a moment where, uh, you know, we ran into a hiccup and he's like, I don't think I can date you because you don't want monogamy. You probably want to take like 10 dicks in a night. And I was like, first off, yeah, but I don't think that desire. <laughs> You're like, yes, and. <laughs> me, yeah, precludes me from maybe having this relationship. But there is a lot of shame being directed at me for having what for me is a natural and authentic sexual desire, but for others was viewed as wrong or extra or too much. So, yeah. first, I had to like get clear on where the internal shame was coming from and where I was adopting external shame and owning it as my own make wrong, which I wore that like the cutest outfit I could for a while did not get me very far um and the second part the second milestone once I got clear on that shame is actually just being playful uh with myself Mm -hmm. and exploring in the mirror what did it look like for me to actually look sexy but for me what are the things that turn me on about myself you know I read a ton of erotic fiction I learned a lot about the kinks I wanted to do from literature this is probably why I enjoy sexting with my partner so much. I'm in this yeah. long-term relationship. We've been in the same condo during COVID. He's about 20 feet in the other direction. And <laughs> I still text him throughout the day, sexy, naughty things, because it's what turns me on. Yeah. But it's this like consistent play and willingness to explore that brought me to, I'd say, more of like a foundational okayness with my mm-hmm. sex. I love it. I can feel more authentic expressing it. And there are still areas where I'm growing in that space, you know, in my body and my openness about it too. Mm. So one of the things we were wondering, like, so you work with just across the board, different people. Is there a difference if some, one of your clients is LGBTQ or, um, you know, this heterosexual male, heterosexual female, or someone that's kind of more fluid, does your coaching adapt to that? And if so, how? Yeah, totally. Uh, coaching as like a container is always adapting to whoever's in the space. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, you have your own jello packet. They add their mix to the water. It changes colors, changes flavors. That's how this works for me. Um, but I will say some things do stay the same. And I don't actually find the stories shift between clients' identities. I find their relationships to the stories might shift. Some of the healing work definitely does. And I'll say like for the clients who I have worked with who are trans or who are queer or gender non-binary, a lot of sex coaching also comes hand in hand with self-love and gratitude Mm -hmm. and creating a real sense of pride in oneself for being as far along as they are. And I don't mean far along a transition, for being where they're at in life, for choosing to live authentically for whatever that means for them and for simply being here today. Um, I find that when we don't have that level of self-acknowledgement, it really is a strong sexual block. So that just happens to be one of the conversations really benefiting people in those communities. 
And on the flip side, when we look at, you know, the heterosexual straight guys who I have worked with, a part of it is actually conversations around sex and privilege and their own fear. Mm. Uh, And also their own fear of like, how do they show up authentically and vulnerably and ask for what they want, but also not make it all about them. I have had multiple clients who they, um, not to say that they're like afraid of the Me Too movement, but they are cautious about how they show up because they want to create safety, but they never got taught. Yeah. And they don't want to ask for what they want in a way that is inaccessible for the other person. Yeah. So it's that kind of like conversation of how do you be with another and create space for another? And how do you also share needs without being demands um, and being tender? You know, it's just not the masculinity that we're used to, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely relate to that. And I see that so much because I'm single dating, right? And I'm white female and I tend to date, you know, white males. But I noticed that too, is there, there is that fear around how is she going to react to me? Right. Like she, like, there is a fear there because of the me too movement, you know, and the fear is there because they don't know how to be like with what you just said is like, they literally don't know how to be the, the healed masculine energy that women need. Because the, yeah. the lack of education, the lack of models, really, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. we can educate all ourselves all our all we want. But if we don't see somebody actually doing it in the world, being it in the world, we're not going to learn how to to be it. You know, if you yeah. could give a bit of advice, if someone <clears throat> said listening, like, gosh, I want to be like that healing masculine energy. What would you give to someone who is struggling in that or not, mm-hmm. you know? kind of contemplating would like to be better? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's probably going to differ for everyone. But a pillar that would bring it all back together is I think it's a chance to be in relationship with yourself. You know, my coaching, I always say we're in relationship with three different versions of us, our past self, our current self, and our future self. And we're stuck and not sure about how to become the healed masculine. It's usually because the next few steps aren't clear. Right. This is why we get into spirals and why we, you know, stop and find ourselves in in action. But if you were to be in relationship with your future, fully healed masculine self, right? Find a few people out in the world who seem to be doing it and being it, also holding respect for their own humanity. No one's going to be perfect, right? Neither are we. And then actually having conversations with that version of you on the daily, right? They might look like uh, asking myself, what do I still need to heal around my masculinity. Uh, what fears still do arise around my femininity? Right? Part of like healing the masculine is actually owning our feminine and not making it wrong. Uh, and also holding space for our masculine and not making that wrong in ways that we might've experienced before. So I'd ask myself like, where am I still holding fear, making these parts wrong? Um, what's the opportunity moving forward to even be 10% more mm-hmm. integrated in those two ways? Um, and also really finding people to practice with. There are conversational agreements I find insanely supportive, uh, especially if you have a group of friends across gender identities or even your partners. You might actually just have a conversation and say, hey, I'm interested in growing in this way. I don't know what it looks like. Are you open to being actively in relationship with me and supporting me as I explore? And here's what I'd like that to look like. How would you like that to look like? Because I want to be a better partner. And this is, you know, the part where I even feel my heart 
clenching a little bit because it's vulnerable to not know the how to say like, Hey, I actually want to go into the murkiness and I don't know what it looks like on the other side, but I want you there with me. Um, so yeah. that would be the invitation, I think. Right. Cause I do see that as being a very vulnerable thing for a man to admit is I don't know how, because they feel like they need to have the answers and they're meant to lead. And, uh, especially like the feminine, right. They want to protect and provide and, and, um, yeah, it's vulnerable for them to say, I don't know how <laughs> that's where the pride yeah. comes in. Right. And you see the, the masculines don't want to admit when they're wrong or think, you know, all of that stuff comes in that shadow. Totally. stuff. Yeah, but it's also like the bullshit we're fed as a society is that we should know how yeah. already. Oh, totally. There's, yeah. there's no way that we should. And I find this in conversations with white men a lot who feel like they are failing at life and struggling because they're the most privileged and they, they don't know how to do these certain things or how mm. to already be further along because they should have all yeah. the answers. So, right. you know, no one does. There's actually no way that we could, but the belief that we do or that we ought to is such a roadblock to let go of. So if you out there listening feel like you have that guilt for not being further along, first off, if you're in the States, drop it, let it go. <laughs> not, you're not alone because I support. feel like that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It would be a miracle if you were, but yeah. odds are it's just normal actually. And then there's no make wrong involved, but letting go of that guilt and that shame can actually give you access to stepping forward. Right. Yeah. And I, and I know for me, my, sometimes I'd come across wanting something different. Usually me, for me, there was always a level of wanting more intimacy connection, but at the same time play like sex is messy. It's fucking like a shit show. <laughs> and the only reason why we love it. So, I mean, one reason is we get off, it feels good. So, but I would like laugh. And I remember just sometimes, you know, I'm heterosexual, so I would have sex with heterosexual men. They'd be like, no one else has done this. And I remember being like, ooh, like, I don't give a fuck if no one else has done this. Now, I'm a pretty, relatively pretty confident person, but I could imagine, like, when people get a little bit, like, righteous to me does not work in the bedroom. It's yeah. like, because now you lose all this play and this discovery um well, now all of a sudden someone's above somebody else and you're like mm. but i've also heard women say like with my oh, clients yeah. heard, they also be like well you know like I, this right. is or this is weird or no one's asked yeah. this do you come across like kind of where people are, might be a little stuck in their patterns or in their based on their i feel like it's a resume almost like Based on my experience, the research proves that the way I do this is that's that analytical. Yeah, <laughs> I made a man voice, but I could have done it in a girl voice too. So, <laughs> well, we're talking that, about that I was your like... man voice. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was my man voice. There we go. That's a terrible one. Um, Nailed it. Crushed I think the it, second Aaron. one was worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I feel like we're talking about masculine energy. I feel like this is coming, and so we all have mm. both. With you know, mm -hmm. so that's why also females or women can show up in the same way because it's just our masculine energy showing up. So mm -hmm. anyway, now oh. answer the question. <laughs> From that place, right? From the masculine, we want to be right or be in control. And we also want to create the right experience for the other person. And this is like where the righteousness comes in. Mm -hmm. I think I might know more than you know. This yes. is what history tells me works really well. You might just not be <clears throat> as enlightened as me. It comes up all the time. <laughs> right? We might not say that in the bedroom, but definitely elsewhere in the world, especially in these, yeah. you know, coaching or spiritual communities. Um, so it does come up and, and you know, <laughs> the place I go to is this. If you are consistently in a relationship where someone is doing that, 
Uh, and you're someone who's really open to exploring in other ways and having there be no make right or make wrong, you know, at a certain point you look and say, this person's not in the place for me to be in alignment with them sexually. Mm, and if yeah. it's in the bedroom, it's probably elsewhere too. Be yeah. in the kitchen, the boardroom, and their whole yeah. life. Uh, sex is a really great display of who we truly are and can be. Um, but for those who are coming from that place, they've had that feedback, um, they want to shift, but they find themselves like rigid. Mm-hmm. I find the place to look is really what's so scary about going outside of what you know has worked well in the past. Um, when's the last time that you try to do something new? And I experience for a lot of clients when I say things like that, they feel rising motion up in their chest and all of a sudden they get hot in their face. And it's because of a lack of certainty in their ability to produce results. Mm. And this is the same conversation before. There's a right way to do sex. We're looking at the how-to checklist for sex, right? We're actually really reducing the amount of pleasure that we can create. And we're up in our heads. No wonder coming from fear, I'm going to say, no, 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 no. I told you on the app, I do these five things you sign on. I'm a, I'm a deliver. (laughs) I'm a give them to you. Right. And you want something more now? Yeah. (laughs) This was not in my DMs. (laughs) That's really the, the place to then work in cultivating a, like forgiveness, if there's anything in the past where we're, we're hung up on a past mistake or we feel like we didn't deliver for a partner and things ended, the heartbreak can really be a block around adventure in the bedroom and elsewhere. But then B is also how do you set yourself up to be adventurous and curious? They go hand in hand in the bedroom or wherever you might be, you know, having your fun. Um, and that was like a willingness to not be perfect. Uh, it looks like a willingness to not always perform at 110% in sex. And I'm glad that I'm not the only one who comes from this headspace, but a lot of my clients come because they want fireworks every single time they bang it out. They're like, if I'm not, if I'm not positive that I'm going to be able to produce fireworks like that, well, then I'm just not going to have sex. And it becomes heavy on their heart because they feel guilty for not meeting their partner's needs, especially if this person has a lower libido than their partner's higher libido. Mm. And then they're afraid that they're insufficient, they're not enough. So all these conversations are intertwined, but the recommendation here is, you know, take off the need to be number one and perform all the time. If we move the goal to connection and play, not only does it not have to be penetrative or lead to an orgasm, it can be so many more things. And when we remove the need to be right because we're afraid to be wrong, which is such a false dichotomy, but I think it's one that we really get ingrained in us. Um, it actually lets us melt into experience. And Aaron, I love, love that you laugh in sex. I think it's a great indicator of, you know, an openness and really being in the moment. Um, but for everybody, like there are different modalities to it. It can be rough and hot. It can be sweet and slow. It can be messy with a ton of Cool Whip and cherries on top. I don't know. Freddie mm-hmm. Prince Jr. style. Mm-hmm. Whatever variety floats your boat. The spice of life. Spice of life. So no. variety. Switch it up. That's what adventure is about, right? <laughs> Reaching all to of the it choir. is great. Yes, all Reaching of it is to good. The choir, totally. <laughs> so we already kind of started talking. We- we talked about like how you support individual clients a little bit about couples, but I want to talk more about couples, right? Cause I feel like sometimes mm-hmm. that's where our biggest disconnection is like, yeah. you know, <laughs> so do you find that you have like seen a theme with the couples that you work with? Um, or, and then there, are there any tips that you can give like our listeners who are in relationships that can help? And maybe you've already touched on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, number one theme is going to be slow around what I said at the top, which is this, you know, sharing desire from a place yeah. vulnerability, being willing to ask for what you want and not getting it and then being okay with it. Mm-hmm. I find a lot of people are, uh, they experience sufficient frustration or heartbreak over not getting their needs met, whether they yeah. vocalize them fully or not, that they then put up the walls and they're distant and they're resistant. It's almost oh God, like they're that's apathetic. So that's me sorry <laughs> like this yeah. describes me <laughs> mm-hmm. it doesn't feel very good does it no it's like because it feels like rejection that's what I, that's mm-hmm. what I was hearing when you were talking is people don't want to be rejected yeah and when we look at it from that split moment this is where I find a lot of uh clients who are on that side focus they look at the time when they said no and they look at that and expand it out to the whole relationship and say hey if they don't want me here I'm clearly not worthy elsewhere and so one of the tips I can give is uh, take a moment, first off, pan out, you know, pull back, don't look at the day, don't look at the week, look at the month, look at the six months, you know, and let's look at the entirety of the relationship more than just this instance when you're feeling uh, rejected and the narrative is he didn't want me for the second time this week, clearly, you know, spiraling down, we're not going to make it. Uh, man might just be tired, anxious, you know, hasn't eaten well. And this goes for anyone saying, man, could be woman, could be person in general, could be undersourced, could just not want it in the moment because uh, they took an ego hit at work. Who knows? Um, but first it was really pan out and see the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. You know, second one's going to be looking at when it comes to like communicating needs, uh, the practices stop doing it in the bedroom. Mm. and start doing it everywhere else the Mm. couples who have the best sex they also talk about it and they don't just talk about it five minutes before oh my gosh this feels stressful for me like I don't I don't want to be talking about my game plan as I'm like walking into a bedroom having just showered (laughs) they talk about it at breakfast they talk about it while they walk the dog they're sexting throughout the day seeing what the partner is interested in and there's that um willingness to be clear about so many parts of their desire for play that they have more tools when they come to the table. And there's also more tools and less doubt because they've been in sufficient relationship around sex where when they do get the no, uh, it doesn't hit as deeply. And that's not to say it will never hit. It does, period. You know, sometimes we want something and we do not get it and we're gonna feel a sort of way about it. Cool, that's valid and that's okay. But that feeling does not actually mean that the truth of your relationship is a lack of desire or rejection. Yeah. It might just be in that moment, a misalignment, and there's space to grow beyond that. Um, and a real quick third one is your libido is not always the truth teller for great sex. Um, and I think that's a lesson I wish I would have learned earlier. As someone who used to have a high libido, is now the lower libido partner in my relationship, uh, you don't have to be horny in order to actually create great sex like ahead of time. There's a lot of physical practices we can use for our body in the moment. Uh, if we're not already wet in our vagina, our dick isn't already hard. And sometimes the practice is I'm feeling mediocre about sex, but I want to create some play. So here's the stuff I need. Would you give me a back massage? Would you send me some selfies? Would you say these things in my ear? Uh, my partner and I, we definitely know our go-tos. For like, if we want sex and the other partner's like, meh, we can try. I've got my five vocab words and my three places I touch and nibble and they get him going and he's ready and he <laughs> knows mine too. Right. So just know your libido is not going to always guide you or give you the green light for great sex. I've had my best sex when I have not been previously horny 
and I've just chosen to give myself over to the experience. And I gave my partner enough, you know, clues and directives and past experiences so that he knows how to warm my body up when I myself can't do it. Mm. I think it's a good point because I've worked with a lot of clients who've been together for years and I find that there's a lot of non-communication communication happening like a lot of i found well especially if they're clearly if they're struggling oftentimes they're only coming to me because they're struggling but um one of the things i notice is a lot of interpreting signs and signals Mm -hmm. and not necessarily getting clarity around it like kind of being certain being like oh and i must mean this yeah and do you find that to happen because well, generally, that's not true. Also, in dating clients, they also don't ask. Like, it's a, like all of a sudden we go into sex. I didn't realize this because I'm such a fucking talker that I'm going to talk things out and I get consent, like all this stuff. Well, but then I found <laughs> through my clients, they're mm-hmm. like, no, I think he wanted it. No, he wanted it. I'm like, oh, he said it? No, he did this. Or she did this. And I'm like, oh, they said it? And I'm like, like the last one on the bus, like, oh, fuck, no one's talking. Everyone is inter- signaling <laughs> and interpreting signals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And which I think when you know someone, you can have that agreement, like, oh, this is what it yes. means. But do you find that mm. a lot of people are interpreting like yeah, signals and not getting clarity around it? Yes. Every day and everywhere. And, you know, I'll give other examples. Like there is never a wrong time to ask for consent. And being a dude who goes out dancing to clubs all the time until 4 a.m., I will ask people on the dance floor if we can dip mo, if we can make out on the dance floor. And the number of times I get these big eyes looking back at me like, wow, you're actually asking? Like, even though we're grinding our bodies and we're hot and sweaty, and they're game and they're very happy to hear that, but it's such a rare experience. Mm-hmm. And I look at my girlfriends and my family members and other people in my community, I'm wondering how many times to someone who might be inebriated, go for what they think is a clear signal, which in reality is not because they're not as with it. Um, what a blessing it would be to actually ask for consent ahead of time across the board. So yeah, I'll put that in there first. Um, but yeah, Aaron, everybody loves a crystal ball because it's safe in their head, yeah. right? It's safe to think they know. It's safe to not get a no, quote unquote, the experience the mind or the body's trying to reject Mm. so as long as they gave enough data quote unquote that gives me the green light um i can feel good about getting my needs met and not being rejected uh and that's just not reality a it doesn't make for good sex first off b talk about opening a lot of of gray space for really unethical behavior by and large, whether you're inside a relationship or not, because this happens in relationships too. You know, inner partner sexual assault is a thing. Yeah. And I find that a lot of times it comes from both the unhealthy power dynamic, you know, person's unwillingness to not uh, get what they quote unquote want, but B, it's also their unwillingness to be told no in the moment. Uh, and it's them prioritizing themselves over their actual relationship. Mm. So, Yeah, if you happen to crystal ball, first thing I'll say is uh, put down the crystal ball and know that you actually can't. You probably don't know. You might think, you know, there's probably nuances that you never will until you ask a partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And secondly, there are different forms of what we would say is like a a fuck yes for consent. 
you know, it might be saying yes. It might be bringing a person into your body and giving that look with your eyes. Uh, but more consent is never bad, you know, mm-hmm. unless you set up like consensual, non-consensual play, in which case you have a definite, you know, consent ahead of time. Yeah. But more consent is never bad. And there's probably a lot of truths that you might not be aware of that can guide you to more pleasure mm-hmm. uh, just by asking questions, even getting curious about past sexual experiences, I find mm-hmm. a big roadblock for a ton of couples. Oh, yeah. And uh, what if we dropped the game where we think we're the first partner, right? Mm-hmm. Or that we have to top every other partner out there having yeah. you know, nothing that they've done. What if we just allow people to have a sexual journey and said, hey, can you share with me what works for you? What's worked in the past? Um, what are things I can try or maybe add some spin to and not shame people or be unwilling to meet that part of our partners because uh, we are afraid it means something about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Or yeah, or just it's people don't want to talk about that because it's like they also feel they get jealous or, you know, that the, they don't want to hear about what they've done before. <laughs> that's yeah, that's definitely coming from a wounded place. Yeah. It could also be hot though. You know, oh, yeah, <laughs> I love talking that about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm always asking like, Oh, what have you done before? And what, you know, what do you like? And like, yeah, I love talking about it. I don't care. Tell me about oh, yeah. that time you had sex in the car and how it was the best you ever had. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> And Bethany, I love the way that you share that because to me, the energy you're serving right now, it feels like the energy I want from a partner in foreplay. Like what if a part of that exploration was a part of the process for like turning each other on? Like we don't have to play this game of back and forth and have it be sterile. We can give it flavor. We can make it naughty. We can be like, oh, I'm just curious. You know, what's the dirtiest thing that you've ever heard of? That's my favorite. I love doing that. (laughs) Totally. Bethany, you're a lot of fun at parties, aren't you? We need to hang out. I don't go to parties a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You got to get me out, Craig. I don't, I'm an introvert. I don't go to parties. What? We can make that happen. We can make that happen. (laughs) But yeah, you can be fun. Just, yeah, it's. She pokes out sometime and then she goes away and then she's like, yeah, I'm an introvert and I got some, she's a energy. disco turtle ready to yeah, go. Yes. I am. Yeah. When, when I'm ready to be out there, I mean, it depends on the, what phase I'm in also, but yeah. And if I feel comfortable, I have to feel comfortable with the people and the environment. Otherwise mm-hmm. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I think you bring up, you kind of said something a moment ago, Craig, Around traumas or sexual assault, how do you address those? Because it's so prevalent in all of our histories. How do you work with that? And how do you approach it, handle it, heal it for clients? Yeah. So, you know, the thing I love about coaching is we are forward, uh, moving conversation always. So I actually work hand in hand with a lot of therapists who work specifically with trauma. This doesn't mean that I don't have healing conversations with my clients, but the first place I look when actually building a coaching relationship with someone who does want to heal that trauma is making sure they have additional support. And what that's looked like before in the past is, you know, I've teamed up with body workers and some energy healers, some intuitive healers as well, who can really just go in places where maybe I cannot. Mm-hmm. Uh, But secondly, a lot of the clients who I've worked with, um, especially women who have had those experiences with a man, we actually design our container in a way that allows them to practice showing up how they want to and healing the part of themselves that is still at odds and wounded and make wrong who they were or how they were with a man. 
so that we can actually create a new narrative. Um, and it's part of like the boldness of coaching as being so open and vulnerable and going at the top of the relationship and saying, I don't know how this is going to go. And I know that I still have ick around men or whatever. And can, can we like actually practice? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those relationships look like sharing authentically and vulnerably and having their experiences validated. And in so many of those relationships, that's the thing that, that kicks the bucket first is really being either manipulated or told that we're wrong for feeling the way that we do or being gaslit so that we can't even own our reality. Mm. Uh, so part of the healing work is actually that relationship with ourselves and getting some additional support elsewhere that fortifies the fact that we know, our intuition knows, we actually have a seed of truth. Like we live through an experience and giving ourselves a chance to get back in alignment with ourselves first. So then our life and our sex and our play can get back into alignment secondly. Um, but you know, as a survivor, I definitely invite everyone to take on multiple modalities of healing and support and looking at what does it mean to not stop until you get to where you want to go? Not that there's a finish line, but like part of healing is going to be practicing in love again and being willing to before you might fully be quote unquote at the finish line or ready. Um, and I always hear this RuPaul's quote, this whole, uh, how is anyone going to love you if you don't love yourself? I'm like, Mm. well, fuck that shit. (laughs) Because (laughs) you are inherently worthy of love, period. And that surmises that you've got to be somewhere in order to receive love. Well, that also puts you at odds with everybody else. Because you can give love to others and you can receive love now too. So part of our healing is how can the client also receive the love coming from the universe, coming from me as a coach and actually be with it? as opposed to thinking they have to resist all love and affirmation mm. and positivity until they get to that place of being healed, uh, which typically I find clients think that they either won't get too quickly, they're undeserving of from mistakes they made in their relationship that led to that experience happening, whether it was an assault or you know being with a narcissist or anything. Um, and the truth is you're worthy right now, period, mm. of having yeah. that love and that positivity back in. And uh, it's not your fault that those things happened, period. They never should have. And uh, yeah, that's probably the, the conversation that I take on with multiple clients. Mm, I like, it's so funny when you're talking about this, it made me automatically think of the difference that I have come across with widow, widows and widowers. Widows have this almost like um, they have to be in the space of loss. They can't move on. I respect, I find also that women, females, widows, whatever, it's synonymous, um, they will do more work to heal. However, when they are open to love or sexual partners, whatever that is, it's it's a long time after the death of their partner where I find widowers are, don't do the death. However, they are quicker to date. And I sense to me, they don't see it coming. Like what you said is they don't see it. Like, I, of course I deserve love. Of course I deserve to have sex and I can miss my partner. Yeah. Um, and I can heal. And like, they, they mash it up more than I think females. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably the first time I've seen females compartmentalize so much, mm. but and sex, like, holy shit. Like I've been with like mm-hmm. up to like 400 widows and widowers. And I'm like, holy shit. This is like, 
such a dichotomy of interpretation when it comes to sex and relationships after losing someone. Yeah. And I think there is such a common, a common misconception that like you have to be fully healed before you get start dating again or get into a relationship. Mm -hmm. And because we think Mm -hmm. that we still have to find the one instead of maybe having multiple people teach us different things. And that's how we continue to heal. And that's how we're going to heal. Like we don't actually fully heal until we practice with other people. Cause we can't just sit in our room alone and heal and not talk to anybody and magically be changed. Like you don't know you've made progress until you have a, you have a conversation with someone you're like, Oh, I just totally reacted differently than I would have five months ago or something like that. <laughs> if only we could be alone in a room, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, I think some of us hold on to the belief that we, like, we can do this work by ourselves and yeah. then walk into the world. We'll be ready to go, but yeah. you know, you're going to have triggers out there. You're yeah. going to face your uncomfortable areas, your, you know, fall truths or whatnot. So that's actually mandatory. Like a yeah. part of healing is going to be leaning back in and also being so damn loving of yourself in the process mm-hmm. yes. every step yeah. of the way. One of my, my dear friends right now is going through a breakup and he hit me up and said, you know, this is the message I think I need to hear every day. And I was like, yeah, but no, it needs to be every hour probably. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's a new narrative of self-love. And I think so many of us forget that like, we might source that from partners and we hear that consistently. And when we're alone or we're healing ourselves, that's the time where we also need to put those narratives in every single day. Mm-hmm. And when we come up against our stuff, especially in that moment, practice breathing in and saying that same thing, you know, I deserve love and safety and abundance and the adventure, you know, I deserve it all. And then taking the step to get there one more time. Um, I wish somebody had taught me that when I was younger, it took me until uh, 23, 24 to actually distinguish that a, my thoughts weren't me. Mm-hmm. Be that my thoughts were probably always going to trend on the negative self-defensive mm-hmm. and that if I can just lean back and like acknowledge them for what they are, like one of those Hallmark movies and then put in my <laughs> own narration, life gets <laughs> so much easier. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I get it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like waiting for you to say something. I'm talking, Craig. I'm in the thought. I'm still like thinking about it. And then I'm like, oh shit, I have to talk. Yeah. Like we're, this is a podcast. He's not. Yeah. We're interviewing Don't him. Don't sit here quietly. We're, we're, we're not just a listener. Just yeah. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So this has been such an amazing conversation. And if there's anything you haven't said already, like, could you, is there like one piece of advice, you know, for anyone who's maybe starting and out? Make it fucking good. Make it it's, really good. You are Don't under fuck this up. fucking pressure now. Like it needs yeah. to be better than everything We're gonna else you just said. This is exactly the shit my clients deal with in the bedroom. They do not yeah. want to hear this. They want I know, right? Opposite. <laughs> this is a safe space to play and have We adventure. are sorry that, yeah, we're being <laughs> We're being facetious. Anyway. I'm worthy. I'm loved. I will do well. Okay, here we go. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, looking at what I think would be supportive now and also coming from what would be supportive for me to hear even just a few months ago, um, I would say this. I think everyone could use some more self-exploration in what turns them on. And I don't actually think that we know how to do that naturally, like not yeah. given that. So a few places y'all can go if you're looking to actually explore more. 
um, you might look at the different modalities to bring in erotic experiences into your life, whether in person or otherwise. So look at porn that actually is in alignment with how you want to show up, who you want to be. There's some amazing indie porn studios and uh, only fan producers that also explore a wide range of kinks. So I recommend checking them out. Pay for the OnlyFans. You know, they are creating <laughs> content. They they deserve some abundance. If they're giving you pleasure, give them some pleasure back. Um, you might look at erotic fiction in terms of either what's on the internet or even novels. And there are some really good kink workbooks. So I can actually, Bethany and Aaron, after this, I'll send you the link to a kink workbook that I use cool. to my clients, uh, Kink 365. But it goes through a lot of questions to help you explore on the nice. daily what you might not know turns you on. Uh, so I'll say piece of advice, begin to play, begin to have those conversations with your partners. And if you're not talking about sex outside of the bedroom yet, please, 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 please make a session, make a breakfast, right? Whatever it is. And then begin to have that conversation. Doesn't have to feel heavy. Doesn't have to feel dramatic. Just get curious with your partner and ask them what it is they want over some sunny side up eggs or who knows, you know, muffins too. <laughs> Or otherwise. <laughs> well, for those who want, for those who want, if you yes, like salmon please. too, you can make that happen. Um, but yeah, I definitely think exploring your interests and having these conversations, it will transform your relationship with your partners. It will transform your relationship with sex. And it's going to give you so much more access to things you wouldn't have had otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is mandatory to actually do it somewhere else than the bedroom or at bedtime make yeah. it normal, uh, make it vulnerable, you know, lead the way for your partner and say, Hey, I care. I want to make this relationship even more. Are you open to conversations? I want to hear what are things that you want to be doing that we might not be doing. What am I doing? Well, <laughs> you know, yeah, be and open to uh, that. <laughs> yeah, be open to receive the praise too. We're not yeah. just looking at the areas of fix and a lot of people yes. in sex where we're looking at what we're doing wrong or what we could right. do better. Yeah. Be open to receiving the fact that you probably do a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So where can we find you? Our clients are like, our clients, not really. Our, clients. <laughs> our listeners <laughs> are like, okay, where the hell are you? How do I get a hold of you? I want more. Yes. Uh, well, burn some incense and send me a smoke signal. I'll appear, you know, <laughs> say booty call three times in the mirror and the sex coach will arrive. Uh, you, uh, you can find me on Instagram primarily. I put out content there every day. I'm doing a, um, online, you know, Instagram live every Tuesday called pillow talk where we talk about, you know, random sex topics from libido to infidelity and beyond. Uh, but you'll find me at, you know, my handle is Craig C R A I G, uh, Cassie C A S S E Y junior J R. Uh, and that will be my primary space where you can engage, drop into a DM. If you want to hit me up, Craig Cassie with two S's.com is my website. And then I'm also on the Twitter. I will say this about Twitter, super sex positive space. You want to learn what turns you on, scroll down that Twitter app for a few hours and you'll definitely see a lot. I uh, before the, all your followers then. <laughs> you, you could, you definitely could. They might be surprised to see a woman following them. They'd be like, damn, I know, this, right? this person's into it. Good for her. Good for her girl. Um, but I will say, if you want to also see a few more of my like more open, playful conversations and how I show up in my own life around sex, you can definitely follow me at Twitter at AKA Coach Craig. Uh, and you'll see a lot of fun selfies there too. You know, I'm all into body positivity. And a part of that is also showing the skin that we are in and loving ourselves no matter where we're at. So if you're down for that movement, just know some man flesh will also be on the app. 
You have some nice man shorts. flesh, I have to say. <laughs> you know, I, I like my man flesh. I will say it's one of my blockers right now. I still am sitting with how do I be authentic and professional and own my physical identity yes. and lead the way for others to do the same because society yes. just says we can't. So that's yeah. like mm. my next my next leading edge is how can I show up as this baller, hard-driven spiritual coach and also say, I like to wear a jock strap and a harness and that is empowered and yeah. doesn't change my capacity. You should yes. hire me for that reason. You yes. know, and if you like wearing a strap on and you know, pegging your partner, come along. Let's go to town. <laughs> right? <you know>? Yes. <laughs> yes. I love that. Aaron, do you like that? I feel like I'm this like, is a whole <laughs> conversation we've been waiting months for. <laughs> I'm like, I yeah, because I was thinking that's something I definitely think uh Bethany is totally ahead of me in that charge of really like being that sensual showing skin and and i would say compared to you she, who knows she might take it further but i do think i think it's interesting like what you know why we decided that wasn't professional like why yes. is it mm, especially mm -hmm. i mean it doesn't matter regardless but especially that that is your professional like that's my arena this is my playground mm -hmm. why would i not uh do this because it's exactly I always believe as coaches we have to show up the way we're mm -hmm. coaching yes. and holy shit like the things that we'll do because I believe that if I don't do it I people are not gonna my clients are not gonna do it so I'm I, I'm not on Twitter but now I'm like oh maybe I should get on do Twitter it. and yeah why not Aaron, we can we can get that we can get that happening and, <laughs> you know I'll say this, Bethany, you are definitely inspiring me in this regard. And oh, I really you. think it's women and women of color and queer people who are, are really leading the way in this. Cause I look at the professional space for sex healers and coaches and mm -hmm. it's a lot of women and also a lot of black women who are just yeah. really owning and empowering others to do it. But I'll say, you know, not that this is a shocker for this you know podcast series, but fuck the patriarchy is a reason why <laughs> I think we have all this shit because yes, yeah. you know some old white man doesn't want to be turned on by an empowered woman and then have to deal with her in the boardroom when she's doing better work <laughs> than he probably ever would to begin with so yes. like this is a chance to reclaim it and you know topple totally. it and then you know keep on going with life it's overdue it's <laughs> yeah true, it this is. is i've noticed this is actually the block i'm having in my business at the moment that i am working through is like because i go back and forth and i just kind of recently this morning realized sorry i have cat hair now like flying in my face um is uh i go back to oh i need to be professional you know if i suit if i say too much or do too much or if i show too much of who i am they're not going to want to work with me right you know and then it goes back to well who do you actually want to work mm -hmm. with you right so it was like i had this conversation this morning with someone so um but yeah that that whole like i need to be professional so i try to put myself in a box but then i'm talk about my periods and i post naked pictures of myself online <laughs> Right. So who the fuck am I actually? <laughs> you know, it does, yeah. it's a breakthrough. I know when I left my day job and yeah. then going into the intuitive work, mm -hmm. I noticed it was like breaking myself up to to really out myself in all areas. So yeah. I think that it's it's a transition. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think what I love is I think both of you are so heart centered that you could also in the most loving way challenge people's perceptions. Like, hey, yeah. 
I hear, I might make you uncomfortable, but I think like, let's talk about this. And they might end up walking over to, you know, to the idea of like, oh yeah, why can't you have this? And I think sometimes some of my clients are like, I make it wrong because I feel like I can't have it. But when people do it, they give me permission. Yes. But I first have to heal that in me that I want it. Mm -hmm. So I stop making you wrong Mm -hmm. for for trying to go for it or having it. Exactly. Yeah. Bring on, I think, kink positivity, making it mainstream is one of my dreams. Like I would love to normalize like housewives getting off whatever it is while they're pissing on their husband, getting you know, <laughs> multiple partners, topping their it. partners, whatever it is, you know? But oh, yeah. like we envision like kinkiness and it's like people go to Burning Man, they wear leather or they're like yes, doing right. these things. Right. Well, like people down the street want to have that fun too. And they still might be walking out looking preppy with two children on each mm-hmm. arm. Totally. Like that's also mm-hmm. normal and they're just, isn't that visual out there yet if you're kinky it's got to be this like edgy thing and it's like you can have edge and also still make your apple pies and serve them up at thanksgiving for the family absolutely (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you so much for being with us yes this is amazing and you're really smart like i'm listening (laughs) to you like and i'm just like that's why i think i might have had my like uh if anyone could see me now i'm making like stupid face of like deep listening but she it was, like she, I, I can tell usually Erin is, is different when we record. Like she's, cause I'm like, she's, she was yeah. like deep into what you were saying. Like, and then I'm like, and then I look away. Cause I'm thinking about, it, I'm like, Oh shit, I got to stay engaged. So thank you. Because I feel like, <laughs> well, Erin, I love deep, deep listening. So thank you. For <laughs> <speaking in that. laughs> no. Me too. <laughs> All right, well, great. stay tuned for um, Craig. We're going to give him a mini reading now and see what his desires are. <laughs> deep reading. Deep, deep reading. It's going to be deep. We're going to go deep. All right, you ready for this, Craig? <laughs> I am ready for this. I thought you were born ready. I pre- are I we ready? Are we? I'm pre-lubed. <laughs> oh, I have my latte. Awesome. <laughs> spiritually lubed. Spiritually lubed. Spiritually lubed. Okay. Ooh, there's we a catchphrase. We need to clear your crown chakra now. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned for that. That'll be um, here in a few minutes. Thanks for listening.